welcome to Church of the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be here together. Lord, we're grateful. As we enter this week of Thanksgiving, we pray that we would be most thankful for Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us this morning. May your Holy Spirit speak very clearly to our hearts. May we leave here different than we came in. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Um, I hope you had a great week. So many fun things went on this week. Um, If you're new, welcome. My name's Kevin. I am lead pastor of Church at the Well, and I'm excited that you're here. We've been going through the book of Hebrews, and as it's been announced twice, this is kind of, we'll be taking a break in Hebrews and then going into our Christmas series, Advent, and then we'll kind of come back to it toward the beginning of the year. Um, If you've been coming, then you know that some of these passages that we've been reading in the book of Hebrews are starting to sound a little bit repetitive. Um, And if you don't know that, then you haven't been studying enough, right? Um, Tony was up here last week, and a lot of what he spoke about was kind of building off of this repetitive story that's going on with uh, um, Israelites as they're as the, basically the Lord has said, you're not going to enter the promised land. And we've been talking about rest for a long time. And if, as Christy read the passage, I just kept thinking, man, it, it feels like the author of Hebrews is consistently attempting to push something into our hearts to really focus on something very specific. And my job today is to take all of the previous messages in Hebrews and Um, the great job Tony did last week and say, this is what it's really boiling down to. And it's emotional and it's hard and it's, it's not that the concept it's hard, it's that explaining the depth of what this actually means is a little bit overwhelming. And so, we're gonna kind of tie this up, but as I've processed this, and it's fascinating, I don't plan these things. I mean, I, we make the series, we break them down. I didn't plan on this being the sermon necessarily before Thanksgiving, but it works out perfectly. Because one of the things that we talk about a lot is gratitude, thankfulness. There's, there's a lot of our character and a lot of the things that we do are wrapped up in how thankful we are to the Lord. I've realized that if my heart is in a sense of gratitude, then it's really difficult for me to blow it consistently. If I'm grateful for what God's doing, even in the midst of difficult times, if I understand that 
God is in control, that He's sovereign, that He has a plan, that He loves me, that Jesus is mine and I am His, then there's this gratitude that can be given even in the most difficult times. And this book, this author in Hebrews has been attempting to help us understand that. In fact, we're not gonna talk about joy, but what I want you to understand is that um, your joy, the amount of joy you have is directly related to what you believe. And that's a fascinating concept. Um, I've always defined joy as an attitude of gratitude regardless of circumstance. So those two things are, are linked together. But you're not going to experience gratitude and you're not going to experience what thus, you're not going to experience joy no matter what circumstances are going around if you don't understand this concept of rest. And I, so if you know me very well, you know that I don't rest well. Right? I want to run 100 miles an hour with my hair on fire. Now, as I'm getting older, things are slowing down a little bit. Like, I have found great moments of rest, times where, I mean, um, several years ago, we took this trip to Mexico with uh, Christy and I and the loves, and we said we need some rest. And the idea of just sitting on a beach, like resting, was horrific to me. I'm like, that, that sounds so boring. But what I've realized is as I've gotten older, that's actually beginning to sound better and better as time goes on, right? And it's not that I have less desire or that I have, maybe it's wisdom, maybe it's just I'm getting slower, I don't know what it is. But I used to just dread rest. I remember like in being in seminary and our professors would say things like, Kevin, you have to find moments to rest. And I'm like, that's for really old, slow people. <laughs> like, I don't understand it. I don't understand, what do you mean rest? There's work to be done. Scripture makes it very clear that we don't know when Jesus is coming back. There's this urgency that's produced in all of the end time stuff where it's like, okay, we've got work to do. Yes, God is sovereign, yes. He, he saves people, but we get to participate in what he's doing, and why would we ever want to just spend time resting? I don't, I don't understand. And so I had this misunderstanding, is probably the best word, of what rest actually meant. And then one more thing, people used to tell me, Kevin, here's how you have to rest. Like rest looks like this, and I'm like, does it have to look like that? Like. That doesn't seem restful for me. When we were in a community group last week and we were talking about how people rest and what it looks like, the one commonality that came out is that everyone said, rest is when my brain stops for just a moment. Like when all of the cares of the world, I'm able to just kind of shut down for a moment and just focus on Jesus. That's rest. So. Sometimes I feel like I'm at my, my most rest when I'm out on a jog, or probably playing flag, flag, flag football today, right? That will be a moment of rest for me until I pull a hammy or something. Um, but I don't know what rest looks like for you, but I do, I do want you to understand that it doesn't have to look the same for everyone. However, there are some things here in this passage that help us define what rest looks like as we live in this sin-cursed world and sin-cursed bodies and then what future rest will look like. 
And I'm going to do my best to try to help explain those two things, okay? So if you haven't turned there, turn to Hebrews chapter four, starting at verse six. We're picking up basically where Tony left off last week. It says this, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. So we'll stop there. We keep moving back to this Exodus generation. Um, Tony went over the story last week. We have these individuals that have been called out of something and they're given a promise to go into what was called, I mean, it sounds weird, the promised land, right? And they refuse to go in because of what they see. And basically it boils down to, we've said this the last three weeks, they refuse to go in because they have no faith. Now here's where things, and I get this, there's tension here because if you think about their refusal to go in, it was, we have some scouts going in to look at the land and the reports come back and they're, they're saying everything looks great, like this is truly a promised land. However, there's some things that we're going to have to do. There's some people that are going to have to be conquered. There's war coming. And I remember growing up, and, and maybe I didn't associate this perfectly, but I remember thinking, wow, it seems odd to me that as God is moving his people into a promised land, the first thing that he says to them is, like, suit up, we're going to war. Like, is that really a promised land? Like, if the, Hebrew, if the author of Hebrews is associating the promised land with rest, why does it look like they're gonna have to do so much work during this time of rest? And these things come in conflict with each other, but this passage is, a, what is one of the things it's attempting to do is resolve some of these tensions. The specific rest that we're supposed to look, like, look at when it comes to the Israelites is this idea of the Lord fulfilling a promise and a purpose for his people. Meaning, in Christ, you have a promise. You have a purpose. There's a plan. He allows you in Christ to enter into that plan with the ability to let go of worrying about the the few things that human beings have to worry about without Jesus. The first being death. Everyone dies. However, in Christ, we know that to die is to be with Jesus. And the confidence in that, the confidence in the gospel, the confidence in knowing that Jesus came and lived the life that you were supposed to live and then died the death you deserve and three days later conquered sin, Satan, and death for you and then sits at the right hand of the Father as your advocate. There's a a peace and a rest that is supposed to come with that knowledge. Paul says, if he is for me, then who can possibly be against me? Now, when you look at the passage and you think about 
these individuals, it says, if, if we read this again, it says, therefore, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. What are we talking about? To enter the rest. Some, some are going to enter the rest. And then it reiterates for a little while here about this generation that didn't enter the rest. And we realize that their lack of faith disqualified them in that moment for that rest that they had been promised while they were going through hard times. And what I, what the, the point I wanna make here is this, that the rest that we get to experience this side of eternity, the rest that we get to experience until Jesus comes back, doesn't mean that we don't have stuff to do. It doesn't mean that it's not gonna be hard, in fact, we're promised that it's actually going to be hard. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're gonna hate you. Which, in my weird way of thinking, sometimes I think, do enough people hate me? Right? Like, I don't, wanna, I don't want people to hate me just because it's me, but am I representing Jesus enough that a sin-cursed world and some people in it look at me and go, can't stand what you stand for, right? We're, we're promised this, we're promised trial. We're promised difficulty. We're, we're promised that this desert that we live in is going to continue to be hard. When we go all the way back to Genesis and we look at the curse, it was promised way back then, right? Like Adam's, one of Adam's curses was, man, you're gonna sweat. It's going to be hard. It's not, it's not just going to be this easy paradise any longer. There's going to be times when, when things feel so overwhelming. And the reality is that curses throughout the world. So there's not a human being on this planet who doesn't experience that. I've never walked up to any, I mean, if you just walk up to any person, it doesn't matter if they know Jesus or not, and say, is life perfect? They'll just laugh at you, right? Because of course it's not. What, what this story in, in the Old Testament is supposed to represent is God's promises being fulfilled and providing an emotional and spiritual rest in the faith of Him in the midst of the difficulty. And that in itself is rest. Knowing that Jesus is coming back knowing that your salvation is secure, knowing that there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more or less in Christ, knowing that we don't have this burden on us to live in a, in a world where we say, okay, God's up there and I'm down here and I have got to figure out some way to impress him and do good so that he looks at me and says, you're worthy to be with me. The rest comes in understanding our unworthiness and finding that worth in Jesus. There's, it's interesting how all of this in some ways gets tied to the idea of a works-based faith 
There's this constant tension, it seems like, in the Christian world or even in any religious world where they say, okay, even if the gospel's true, isn't there something I need to do? Isn't there something I need to pay? Isn't there, I mean, the answer to that is yes. Salvation is free in Christ, it'll cost you everything. That's what it's supposed to be. What does it cost you? One of the things it costs you is the ability to let go and rest in Jesus. And you go, well, that doesn't sound like much of a cost. If it was easy, we would all do it. We fight, like I told you that story about me and rest, like we fight against rest, right? It seems like if you, if you are addicted to rest, then we have a word for that. It's typically lazy. Right? Oh, I'm going to rest. Well, you rested five days in a row. Right? Like, oh, but it's holy. It's a rest. Like, sometimes, I'll tell you, sometimes the, the most holy thing you can do is take a nap. Right? But if all you're doing is taking naps, we've just become addicted to rest. We've just become addicted to irresponsibility, and we've just become lazy. Right? So somewhere in here, there's this balance of understanding of, what rest means and what it doesn't mean. There's this balance in saying, okay, emotionally, spiritually, physically, I have this need to rest, but it all boils down to my ability to rest, boils down to what I truly believe Jesus is and who He is. There's... I came to a realization when I was probably, I don't know, I must have been about 23. And I would call it my formal call to full-time ministry. I won't, some of you have heard the story, but I find myself on my knees, crying, going, Lord, if this is all that the world is, because I felt like he had given me everything that I'd ever wanted and desired at that age. And I think for me, he got my attention by saying, I'm going to give you everything to show you that this isn't going to make you happy. And I remember hitting my knees and, and saying, Lord, I, I'm not at rest. There's something inside of me that's stirring. And I, I want to experience the rest that you promise. And what did he do? He says, well, I'm I'm asking you to go into fire. I came home to Christy, and I'm like, I think I'm supposed to be in full-time ministry. And she said, it's about time. <laughs> right? So the Lord had been working on her heart as well. And so we did it. And in doing it, what did he ask? Like, the life, life in full-time ministry, life on mission for everyone is difficult. So he calls you into a rest. There's a rest in going, Lord, I, I understand what you're asking me to do in this moment. I understand what right now, I may not understand the whole purpose of my life because I, I wholeheartedly agree, uh, believe that he very rarely shows us that. In fact, the Old Testament says that the word is a lamp to our feet. And I love that visual, right? A lamp doesn't cast too far ahead. It just allows us to take the next step. And I knew there was a piece about saying, this is what I'm supposed to do next, even though I have no idea what that would lead to. If he had shown me this, I would have ran the other direction because I wasn't ready for it, right? 
But there's a rest that takes place when you know that you're being humbly obedient to the Lord by his grace. And then in the midst of that call, as he calls you into greater sanctification and whatever the the call is that he has on everyone's life to be on mission, because we're all called to do that, it does come with more responsibility. It comes with work. It comes with attack. It comes with pain. It comes with major failure, personally. I mean, isn't that interesting? I hurt people and don't even know that I had done it. Like, we're that obtuse as human beings that we can actually hurt an individual we care about and not even know that we've hurt them. There's all these issues, but in the midst of that work, in the midst of what he's asking us to do, if you're doing it for the Lord and it's motivated in Christ and you know that you're being humbly obedient, there's a rest that comes over you that prevents you from freaking out. That that in those moments of war and battle, that you go, the Lord didn't send me here to fail because I'm being obedient, it's already successful. There's a story in scripture about Jesus um, asking his disciples to get in a boat and go to the other side, and that's what he says to them. Get in the boat, go to the other side. Now, we just sang about this. When Jesus says something, it's going to happen. So there's a promise that's given. What's the promise? Get in the boat, you're gonna go to the other side. I'll meet you there, right? We have some crazy stuff that happens in the midst of all of that, but it says that the storm hits, the war begins, and what do the disciples do? They start going nuts. We're gonna die. It's very dramatic, right? If we saw the movie version of this, you'd be like, pull it together, man. Like, come on. These are fishermen, right? A lot of them, they've been on boats before, so obviously the storm must have been pretty bad if the fishermen are freaking out too. However, They forgot the promise. What was the promise? You're going to the other side. And as I process that and I look at this compared to stories in the Old Testament like this Exodus generation, what we're looking at is there are individuals who enter the rest of Jesus and there are individuals who don't. And the ones that do, they don't live their life like they're sitting on a boat in a storm with no idea what's going to happen. The ones that do, they're constantly banking on the promises that the Lord's given them. They're saying, I don't understand, Lord. I mean, hopefully you have these conversations. Hopefully you're close enough to the Lord that you can actually have those conversations. Lord, I don't understand exactly what you're doing. I don't know why you chose for me to be in this storm, but I know that you're the God of the storm. And you have a promise. Your promise is that I can rest in the midst of the storm because it's out of my control anyway. You have a promise that no matter what you do, it's not going to make God love you more. I I said this earlier, but when you think about it, the, the idea of attempting the stress that would that would be on you to constantly think that you have to work to please a God that created everything, that's so stressful, there's no rest in it. 
I do find it fascinating that human nature in the midst of major tragedy, it seems like people respond in one of two ways. They either get really messy. So tragedy hits. I mean, not, you pick the tragedy. It could be a natural disaster. It could be uh, something happening that, you know, somebody close to them died, whatever it is. Tragedy happens. And people do one of two things, no matter what they believe. They either seem to get very spiritual and they start praying to a God that they may not even know. Why? Because they feel like their life is so out of control, there's nothing that they can do, so they begin to seek after something that's bigger than them to control the situation, right? I remember being on a plane once. I mean, this sounds like I'm make, making this up and I'm not. This was years ago, I'm on a plane. Um, the plane is having issues. The person next to me clearly did not like to fly. I knew it as soon as they got on the plane. And I thought, Lord, really? <laughs> like, I, I had my like, sound, you know, there's rules in society. <laughs> and when you put your soundproof headphones on, what does that mean? Leave me alone. I mean, I think that's why most people wear it on the T, right? It's why I choose not to, because I'm trying to talk to people. But I, in this specific moment, it's not always like this, I was like, I need to focus and get some work done on this flight for where I'm going. I couldn't even remember what it is. And I have my soundproof headphones on. And then I'm watching this person get on and I'm thinking, this is gonna be rough for them. Like, they don't, they don't wanna be on this flight. And I don't know what's going on, but they're nervous and they're, they're tense and they sit down in the seat and everything's a mess, right? It's just, there's nothing. It's like, have you ever flown before type of a thing? And then the turbulence hits and I feel this. I'm like, you're hitting my headphones with your finger, <laughs> trying to get my attention, right? And I'm like, you've, you're breaking all rules of, like this isn't okay. <laughs> but I take my headphones off and they said, they literally looked at me and said, are you religious at all? <laughs> it was as if God like, I'm a batter at the plate and he takes a beach ball, right? And he's like, here, hit this. <laughs> Right? So we got into a conversation, but the reason he asked that is because in the moment of his greatest distress, I don't know why it was distress, it was just feeling, he was like, I need something bigger than me. The other thing that people will do is they'll actually abandon that completely, and they lose all hope. It's just interesting how that works. Even as Christ followers, we'll have the tendency to do the same thing. There are moments when we go through something hard and we'll lean into God and we get to experience a rest that we don't understand. It's like you're in the boat, the storm's around you, but you're like, it's okay. Like, God's got this. A lot of times we want to quote Philippians, right? Philippians 4 and say, oh, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding, which actually isn't a great reference for that specific instance. I'll preach on that another time. But it, that's basically what it is. There's a rest that comes over you. It's not magical. If you claim faith in Jesus, it's just being reminded of that faith. It's not like, oh, you know, wow, in this moment you were super spiritual. No, in that moment, you actually trusted what you say you believe. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit says, got this. 
you're good. It may get painful. It may be hard. But remember, Jesus says he will never leave you nor forsake you. So you're good. And you begin to look at it from a different perspective. And then we've all also had the moments where the thing hits and not only do you pull away from God, but then you begin to blame him. God, did you see what I did for you yesterday? Why would you do this to me? What are you thinking? How could you possibly not understand that if you just acted this way, that things would be so much better? And then we get angry, we pull aside, and there's no rest at all. In fact, I call it double suffering, right? You're suffering from the event, and then you suffer from your attitude toward the event. So you go through the suffering that ultimately the world produces because we live in a desert, sin cursed world, sin cursed bodies, and then we put more suffering on ourselves that isn't necessary if we know Christ. So we suffer twice, twice as much. And then the Holy Spirit's going, I have rest for you in this moment, and you're like, I don't believe you. So what is really happening? In those moments, if you're a Christ follower, then what you're saying is, the circumstance is greater than my faith. So now let's look back really quick. This reads a little bit more. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. When I look at the spies, and I don't want to keep going over the same story because we've heard it so many different times. When I look at the spies that went in, and I think about the differences of their report, this is the real difference. Faith. Some understood that the land that the Lord's taking us into is going to be difficult to conquer. It's going to be hard. However, there's a promise. I, I get blown away that this is why I say this. It was called the promised land. Like, it doesn't, it's hard to forget that it's been promised to you when it's actually called that. Like, it's not like they just made up some other name, right? Oh, remember, this is a promise. They literally went, just so you know, it's the promised land. Promised, meaning God spoke it, therefore, right? So in, in, it's in their face constantly. The spies go in. They're, they're walking through the what? Promised land. It's promised. But they come back. And what happens? So many of them say, I don't have enough faith to believe that God can hold to his promise. And the work that he's asking us to put in isn't going to be worth obtaining that promise anyway. And then you have these other, Caleb and Joshua, right, that are like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't understand this perspective. This is the promised land. 
God has brought us this far. Do you not remember what he did? You can't conquer the army that we just left. You can't, it's impossible. However, what happened? It was conquered for you. You can't feed yourself in the desert, but what happened? This crazy stuff called manna shows up. Like all of these things where God's providing water in the desert, he's providing leadership in the desert, he's providing a constant walk toward what is promised to them. The spies that come back and say, we just have to have enough faith that what God's been doing in the past in fulfilling his promise, he's gonna fulfill his promise in the future. But those giants look big. They look bigger than the ones before. Like it's one thing to say that he could destroy an army of Egypt, but are you looking at the size of these people? Like can God really do that? Do I really wanna be in that circumstance? Joshua and Caleb, we have stories about them. And once again, I don't have time to get into everything, but I will say this. Faith was the difference. But because their faith was so strong in seeing the promised land and what God has promised in the future, they still banked on that, which means that even after that exigent generation was killed off, they still got to enter. And this is, in the stories of that, what I realize is that they even experienced rest during that time of turmoil in the desert again. There's a rest. How, how beautiful to think that the difficulties of this life that you can't change will remain, but your heart and your mind can rest. I mean, if I were just to stop here and say, I want you to process your week for a second. Like, I don't know if you know who Jesus is or not. Regardless, how was your rest this week? Was your mind, heart, soul, spirit okay with what was going on because you had so much faith in Jesus? Or Christ follower, did we just look like the rest of the world? Kind of began in verse nine, it says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There's this tie to the Sabbath, and I know this is debated, I get it. I have my opinion on this. Um, Some people have said, well, Jesus fulfilling the law also fulfilled the law of the Sabbath. I would disagree with that. So if you just want to know where I stand, I'll tell you that. Um, And I can give you my reasons later. You can talk to me about it. Um, But he's going to, the author here is going to tie this idea of faith and rest to this concept of Sabbath. And this is the specific, there's there's kind of two Sabbaths that we're going to be talking about here. The first is the weekly Sabbath. This this time when we are supposed to show enough faith in Jesus that we actually physically rest one day a week. 
And what's fascinating about this, okay? If you are a workhorse, you will argue against this every time. You will say, there's so much to do that I have to do this. And what God ultimately, or even the the author of this passage is saying is, that's a lack of faith. You believe that the work is so big that you need to put more hours into it And it's almost as if you're denying your opportunity to enter into the promised land just like the Israelites did because they didn't have enough faith to do it either. There's this crazy tie there. And what I've realized is your theology that revolves around this idea of taking rest during the Sabbath, so one day a week, we're supposed to rest. What does that mean? Well, this is why I said it may look different for everyone. But it's supposed to be a time that we lean into the Lord. That we, we worship and praise Him in a very intentional way. That it's supposed to be a, a time where our faith is being displayed that we trust Him enough and have enough faith in Him to know that He can handle all things. That's what it's supposed to be. The world fights against it. If you don't have, this is the tie. And it's one example. But if you don't have enough faith to take a day of rest, then what he's ultimately saying is you would have been that person that refused to enter the promised land. That's interesting, isn't it? There's a tie here somewhere. It's, Lord, I know you promise rest, but I refuse to rest because if you won't, I will. And if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. And it's, it's interesting that he's going to go back and tie those things together. But he also talks about there's a greater rest that's to come, a greater Sabbath, an eternal Sabbath. Uh, a Sabbath that still awaits. This is the one that we tend to lean into a lot. Like, I have said this, right? This is not a good thing to say, but I have said it. Oh, I'll just work and work and work and work and kill myself because I need to, because it's ministry, and then I'll rest when I die. Now, the heart behind that sounds noble. The faith behind that sounds very weak. It's, it's an inability to believe that the rest that is promised by Jesus is actually available today and not just the future. It's a lack of faith. But here's the thing. Jesus says, my burden is light. If his burden's light and we feel really heavy, then there's something wrong. If his burden's light and part of that that light burden is the gift of rest and we refuse to do it, then what does that say about what we truly believe? It's wrapped in a package of holiness, but in actuality, it's a lack of faith. So, there's kind of two components of this rest that are so important to understand. 
The first is, in Christ, because of the gospel, all Christ followers have the ability to rest every day. Here. Here. You're not stressed about trying to earn your way to please a God. You're not stressed about what the future is because the future has been promised. You're not overwhelmed by the sin-cursed world and the circumstances that are happening in the sin-cursed world because you already knew that was promised as well. It doesn't drain you. It can be hard. It's always hard. I mean, Jesus, it was hard. But it doesn't destroy you. In fact, in moments when you put your faith in Jesus at, and, and find rest in some of the worst circumstances of your life actually draw you closer to the Father and increase your faith. Amen. Isn't that crazy? It's kind of like working out, right? Like it doesn't make sense. Like the body's a weird machine. Because the more you push it, the stronger it gets. And it's similar to that in faith. If you pray right now, Lord, increase my faith, he doesn't just go, oh. <laughs> there you go. And you're like, oh, now I glow. <laughs> and I can handle everything well, right? What does he do to increase your faith? He's gonna put you in circumstances that require you to act on your faith. Here, I'll give you a just practical example real quick. Let's say you don't practice the Sabbath right now and you're going, I'm going to. I promise you the day of your Sabbath is gonna be the hardest day to let go of. Because he's gonna go, are you mean it? Yeah, but all these things came up. Emergencies happened, so on and so forth. I get that. But I promise you there's no coincidence to this. It happens. It's always going to happen. Right? It's, that's the testing of the faith. If it's easy, it doesn't require faith. <laughs> it's like, Lord, I want to have all the faith in you, but make my life really simple. It doesn't work that way. In fact, it's so weird because find somebody in Scripture that practiced that or actually lived that. Every disciple was martyred or sent away. Like, <laughs> living out your faith doesn't make things happier, but it does make things more joyful. And it does make you, put you in a state of rest. You have that. I don't know what you went through this week. I don't know. Some of you I do. Some of you had more things to do than, you know, it's, it's crazy. And you're tired. And the Lord's saying, rest. It's okay. He uses this example because he even says God rested. And God doesn't have to rest, but he does. If your hope in Christ is all geared around Jesus coming back, and that's where you're placing all of your faith, you're missing it. You're missing it. You're gonna, your life's gonna look like this time in the desert that's horrific. You're missing it. In Christ, you have the ability to rest. And I think I've already explained this. It doesn't mean that things get perfect. It just means 
you can have joy. Let's finish this up. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Another conundrum for me. Do you know what the word strive means? Work. You gotta work to rest? Yes. Yes. We're gonna strive to enter that rest. That means it takes energy and effort. It, it, it requires intentionality. I love, I love this word. This has been my new like buzzword lately, intentionality. And I think the Lord reveals different things in different phases of your life where you're like, okay, intentionality, intentionality, intentionality. In fact, I'll hear, like, I, I love the idea of ordinary intentionality, right? Everyone is supposed to be on mission. Everyone is supposed to just, as the Lord takes you, ordinary intentionality, right? Ordinary intentionality in living for Jesus. It takes intentionality to, to, to practice your faith. You have to think about it. You have to have the hard things hit and go, no, Jesus. You have to do it. Well, it also helps that we have people around us that can help us do that too. Sometimes I need somebody to walk up to me and just put their hand on my shoulder and go, it's okay. Jesus, rest. It's okay. We, we all need that. But there's work to it. There's, there's energy that has to be devoted to be able to practice your faith and experience the rest that he's asking us to experience. It's not like, here's the checklist of things you have to do to experience it, though we probably could make one. I mean, if I had to think of one off the top of my head, it's stop looking at the major circumstance as the issue and start looking at Jesus and then see the circumstance through him, right? One of the things I've learned in life is a lot of my trials aren't about me. These are hard lessons. Sometimes you go through something not for you, but for someone else. I remember a pastor once told me, Kevin, sometimes you're going to be the anvil that the Lord uses to grow someone else. And I thought, oh, that is terrible. Because <laughs> you know what an anvil is? It's the thing that just keeps getting hit with a hammer over and over and over and over. And the anvil doesn't change, and the anvil doesn't form into something else, but what is being hit on the anvil, does. As Christ followers, we learn that. Sometimes you will be the anvil that the Lord will use to make change in someone else's life. Are you a happy anvil? <laughs> Are you a joy-filled anvil? Do you look at it from that perspective? I can tell you right now, me, sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, I get so fired up in the joy of watching what's happening that I'm like, keep swinging that hammer. I'll just keep taking it like this is awesome. And other times I'm like, 
I want to shoot the guy hitting me. <laughs> that's just, that's life. But think about, I mean, I love this. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. If you know Jesus, do you know what this means? It means you have the ability through the grace of the Holy Spirit that lives in your life to have rest in every single circumstance that you go through. I, I, this is where things get emotional for me and should for you because you have a savior that loves you so much that he doesn't go, I'll help you in the easy, I'm, I'm, chill, I'm peacing out when it gets hard. He's like, you have the ability to be steady in everything. You find rest in the greatest of circumstances and you find rest in the worst of circumstances. And as Christ followers, we just we celebrate when it's appropriate, we mourn when it's appropriate, but our faith steady. What I I think one of the things we miss is that we think, well, when things are joyful, when things are really good, when things are going great, I become so addicted to this that I actually abandon my faith and I stop paying attention. Now, what is that? That's a lack of gratitude. I remember when we opened our first coffee house in South Station, Matt and I were working one day and we, we hit a rhythm. Like we were like, it was not easy to get to, okay? But we finally hit a rhythm. We're like, we got this. Like, Lord, you're amazing. And Matt says to me, I'm ready for the next one. And I'm like, I hear you. But man, it's nice to find this rhythm where things are just flowing the way that they're supposed to. And we don't feel overwhelmed at the moment because when the next one comes, it's gonna get hard again. And we embrace the hard, right? We do. But oftentimes how we handle the good things in life are gonna be indicative of how we're gonna handle the horrible things. If you're not grateful in the easy and the good, you definitely won't be grateful in the hard. If you get addicted to the good, then you're gonna create this thing in your head where you go, if it's not good, then I must be doing something wrong or I have to work harder or whatever it is. And no, it's the same faith. Paul described it as I know what it's like to have a lot, I know what it's like to have a little, but he's not talking about just monetary stuff. He's talking about life in general. He saw friends die. He saw horrible things happen. He saw major persecution. He endured shipwrecks and snake bites and all these, crazy, all these crazy things. And then he had moments where he watched the Lord moving in such powerful ways that he was like, I can't believe that I get to actually sit here and watch this happen. And his faith just remained. The concept of faith is emotional because it overwhelms, it should overwhelm us that we're loved that much. But the practice of faith isn't emotional. It's grounded in truth. It's grounded in something that never changes. My emotions will change constantly, right? But truth doesn't. The reason 
that were able to have faith in the most difficult and the most joyous of circumstances is because it's not grounded in our emotion. It's not grounded in how we feel. It's grounded in Jesus who never changes. If your faith is grounded in emotion and circumstance, then one, your faith will never grow. And two, you're gonna be constantly disappointed. And lastly, you're never gonna experience rest. You've, you, it, it becomes a foreign thing to go, I feel like I'm promised rest, but I never have it. But it says, let us therefore strive to enter it. You can enter it. It's there. The promised land is sitting there. The question is, do you have enough faith to walk in? Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. See, this is where I said it's not a hard concept, but it's really difficult to like wrap all of this history around and what the author of Hebrews is trying to do here. He's likening our inability to rest to the Israelites' lack of faith to enter the rest of the promised land. He, he sees those two things as parallel, and they are. And so the, here's the beautiful thing. This is big. Like In our mindset throughout history, one of the worst things that happened was this story. It's there. It's written. It's, we're like, ooh, I'm glad I wasn't there back then. Ooh, I'm glad I don't do that. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, but you do. This is indicative of our life. We're supposed to make this comparison. We're supposed to see ourselves in the situation. And then we don't just transport ourselves back to then and go, what would I have done? Like I literally have heard people say, well, if I was Adam, I would have stood up for Eve. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't have. Like, well, how do you know? Because you don't do it now. And it's easier. You're not getting, you're not getting tempted by the enemy, probably. <laughs> you're just tempting yourself, and you still can't do it. We, we have the ability to enter the rest of Jesus. So to close, I, I just want to explain, like, this is what that means, okay? And what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you don't care. I'm so tired of that. It's, well, rest just means that I'm just going to shove this over here and lock it in a closet and never look at it again. That's not rest. That's avoidance. That's not handling something. That's... <laughs> That's you're going to open the closet later. It's going to be bigger than it was when you put it in there. Right? We don't know. If it's not a, that's not rest. Rest isn't that he removes all of the hard from your life. In fact, to truly rest, he may have to give you some more hard. That's, that's a difficult thing to process through. Rest isn't remove people. Rest might be help me people better. 
Rest isn't laying on the couch, watching football every single day, or whatever it is for you. Rest isn't, oh, I rest once the, I get on the flight to the place where I can finally chill. Rest isn't preparing for the next vacation. Rest isn't quitting a job, finding a new one. Rest isn't, I just need a new location. I gotta move. Some of you are nodding now. That's not rest. Rest is faith. Rest is a state of mind knowing that no matter what, you have Jesus. That no matter what, He's there. That no matter what, you can thrive in the moment. That no matter what, you can grow. That no matter what, you can pray to Him and talk to Him and lean into Him. And the most beautiful thing, that no matter what, you can have joy. That's rest. It's, in Scripture, it's called shalom. You've heard this before. They used to greet people, say goodbye, shalom, 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 shalom. We do not understand shalom. There's only been one person or two people at this point that have ever experienced true shalom on this planet. That was Adam and Eve before the fall. Shalom literally means every single thing comes into perfect harmony and peace and rest. Shalom awaits you in Christ when he returns and we're with him forever. That will be shalom. But we get glimpses of shalom. We get the ability for when the world isn't experiencing it, that you can experience a component of it in Christ. That when the world is destroying itself, we become a voice of love and wisdom and patience and joy. It's, it encompasses and integrates with every single thing that we do. This rest. It's why Christ followers shouldn't freak out about politics. It's why we don't freak out about circumstances. Because we have the ability to see it through Jesus. Rest. Uh, I'll go on record to say that I think that this concept is the thing that every single human being is desiring. A rest and a peace. And I can biblically state that because it's what we lost. Jesus comes and says, I can give you a component of that. Glimpses of perfect rest. If you'll step into it. But it's not just gonna happen for you. You have to enter that land. The giants are big, but the promise is bigger. Is your faith big enough? So what do we do with this? I, it's such, a, such an important concept and I don't even, I feel like we could discuss this forever, so my hope is that in your groups this week, you're like diving in, right? 
There's a couple things here that I want you to take away. The first is if you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, I'm gonna tell you your story really quick. You've been looking for rest your whole life and you're tired. It doesn't seem to matter what you do. It just, you're, the, the thing that's coming out of your mouth constantly is, oh, it's just another thing. Of course, just another thing. It's always something, it's always something, it's always something. And here's the reality, it is. It's always something. You're no different than everybody else. For every single person on this planet, it's always something. Some people handle a little better, why? Because they know Jesus. If you're tired, you're tired of trying to prove yourself, you're trying, tired of trying to work for something that you can't achieve anyway and you know it, you're tired of being a slave to the things that you don't want to do anymore, and your heart and your mind are just, the best word to describe you is just, I'm exhausted. And I don't even know what to do anymore then what I can tell you is there's a promise of rest for you. You don't have to work for it. You just have to enter it. And it's faith. It's, it's a moment of releasing everything that you're holding on to, understanding that you can't do it, you need a savior, and putting your faith and trust in what Jesus has done and continues to do. In that moment, you will experience a peace and a rest that is beyond anything that you could imagine or anything you've been seeking for. And so what do you do? I, I would encourage you, like, don't leave it there. Like, talk to somebody. You can come find me after service if you like. You can turn to the person next to you and just say, do you know Jesus? And if they say yes, say, can we have a conversation? But don't leave here exhausted. This week, somebody mentioned to me that they felt so exhausted, I know they don't know Christ, they felt so exhausted that they felt like the solution was to end their life. And I'm gonna tell you right now, if that's you, that's not the answer. It's not the answer. The answer is to find the rest in Christ in the midst of the hurt and the pain and the struggle and experience joy. For the church, those of you who know Jesus, um, some things to process through like, I don't know, look at your month. How would you define rest in your life? Is your heart at rest? Some of you I've talked to and you're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm still like, feel like I have to work for it. And I'm like, man, there's no rest in that. There's no rest in that. You can't impress him. Some of you, I don't, this will be applied so many. Some of you need physical rest. Some of you actually need to go, I need to commit to Sabbath rest because that's going to be the challenge of your faith. 
And until you do, you're not going to get to experience the rest of the rest. Some of you need to, I don't, I don't like the saying, let go, let God. I think that's insane. To let go is not biblical. To view it differently is. Some of you need to start looking through the lens of Christ. Some of you, you know, I, I say it this way, and when you come to faith in Jesus, you don't become perfect. There's this great exchange that happens, right? And I've, you've heard me say this probably before. What ends up happening is Jesus has covered you with his blood. And so it's as if, this is not the best theology in the world, but it's a great example. It's as if when God looks at you, he sees you through the filter of the blood of Jesus and sees perfection. We have that same ability in this life. Rest comes when we look at the circumstances of our life through the filter of the blood of Jesus. Because it changes our perspective. It changes the way we process. It changes the way that we deem what, or, or view what's actually happening. It doesn't mean that the, the, the instance changes, but how we view it changes. And when we view it differently, and it's through the blood of Jesus, it creates a rest. Some of you need to view school through the blood of Jesus. Some of you need to view relationships through the blood of Jesus. Some of you need to view your marriage through the blood of Jesus. Some of you need to view the pains, loss, hurt through the blood of Jesus. Because it's through that that you'll see it differently in rest. And this is, the, this is the invitation for you as a Christ follower. It's there. It's not lacking. If you know Christ, you have access to it. Therefore, enter his rest. And he doesn't just say it that way. Are you ready? He says today. Enter the rest. So what's preventing it? Every week we take communion here at Church of the Well, and we do this for a very specific purpose. Because if any change is going to take place in us, if we're ever going to experience true gratitude, it's going to happen by viewing Jesus, not anything else. So you have opportunity every week to say, this is what the Holy Spirit is using this passage of scripture to do in my heart. These are the things that I'm feeling joyful in. These are the things I'm feeling convicted in. And you get to say, it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so it's your time. It's your time to say it's, it's about him. Some of you need to use this as an opportunity to celebrate because when you think you're like, man, I have experienced so much of God's grace and I'm definitely in his rest no matter what's going on around, and you need to celebrate that as a result of the gospel. Some of you may just need to hit your knees and repent over the fact that you haven't walked into his rest. Some of you need to just let, let Jesus overtake you. Some of you just need to let the circumstances of the world just be seen through the gospel. Maybe you need to be praying for a new perspective. I don't know. It's going to look different for everyone in here. This is your time. 
So I'm gonna invite the band to come up. We're gonna sing a couple of songs. Communion elements are on both sides of the platform here. You can come whenever you see fit. Um, I would encourage you, if you are here today and you don't know Christ, and you're going, man, I wanna do something, I wanna do something, I wanna do something, I need to respond. I don't want you to respond by doing something that isn't real. Once again, this can be turned into a works. God's not gonna go, ooh, you came to church and you took communion today, therefore I'm happy with you. Doesn't work that way, I don't want you leaving here with a false hope. If you're here today and you're a believer, you are welcome to partake. If you're not, I would just ask, if you wanna respond, then have that conversation. Pull somebody aside. It's time to stop faking it and get real with it. So I'm gonna pray and we'll enter this time for you guys. Lord, thank you. It's heavy, it, it hurts. At the same time, it's so exciting. And I, the emotions are all over, Lord. You love us so much that you're willing to give us rest. Lord, forgive us for not entering it. Lord, I pray for those who struggle with this concept in huge ways, no matter what it looks like, whether it's just physical rest on a Sabbath, I pray that you would convict their hearts and remind them that it is a lack of faith. I pray for those of us who struggle with just rest in general, for whatever the motivation is that, that keeps us going without entering your rest. Lord, remind us that it is the same thing as not entering the promised land because it's that rest that allows us to give you glory and praise and joy. So Lord, I, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. I, I ask specifically for anyone in here that has never given their life to Jesus, Lord, that you would regenerate their heart even as we sit here that their heart of stone would be removed, the heart of flesh would be given, that, that they would see truth, Lord, and that you would give them the boldness and the courage to have that conversation. But Lord, as we enter this holiday season, especially a day that's geared around thanks, I pray that at the forefront of our prayers would be the reminder and the gratitude that we are people of rest and that we'll enter it today. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.